Okay, uh, so we're still in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 3 tonight. Uh, Ephesians 3, verse 7. I just sort of want to say before we get started, um, we've always tried to gear Crosspoint, always tried to gear Crosspoint in such a way that uh, if you're not a believer and you're just sort of curious about Christianity or, yeah, I don't know. We've always tried to gear it in such a way that uh, if you're in that place where you're searching for something, or you're just trying to check out what, what Christianity is about, uh, that we try to be very explicit in, in the way that we explain things, specifically the way that we uh, try to be very intentional in coming back around to what I feel like the core of this whole thing is, which is the gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so I try to be very intentional about that. Uh, just because I, I grew up my whole life in church and then left church because it made no sense to me. I didn't become a believer until I was 22 and it was about your age that I became a believer and started wrestling with. And then Christ became this really beautiful thing to me. But it was like I never heard him even though I went to church all the time. And I really didn't grasp what was going on with Jesus. Uh, and so I try to be very ex- uh, explicit. Tonight, however... If you're in that place, tonight's going to be a little too much for you. I'm just going to be honest. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a little much. Uh, especially, if, especially if you come from a very, what I would call a naturalistic standpoint. If the idea of spiritual things and spiritual beings is, is odd to you. I mean, it's odd to me, right? Okay, but that's fine. Uh, but if it's something that you fully reject or have a huge problem with, Tonight's going to be a little much, so I would say just sort of grab what you, I'm gonna, let me go this far. Do you remember the last two drawings we did up here, right? You remember the one that said Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the earth was there, and there was a little stick figure, and we talked about uh, this one aspect uh, of what Paul is unpacking with the gospel, that aspect of you didn't just become a Christian, you didn't just have the blood of Jesus cover you so that you go to heaven, you actually came into the reality that the things that were at war against you, the flesh, the world, and the demonic realm, these things are at war against you. You now have authority over them. And so we really highlighted that when Paul goes to talk about the gospel in this particular book, he's unpacking that. And so we had that picture, and we're going to draw it again. Um, And then the next week, we really went and unpacked this other really huge thing where we unpacked the other thing that when Paul talks about the gospel, he's specifically talking about how God has been working since day one to bring about the gathering of all nations to himself underneath God the Father. Do y'all remember that? This This is like three weeks ago. So, okay. So, but tonight, what's happening is Paul unpacked those in two, and then in chapter three, he's bringing them back together because they're really part and parcel of the same thing. So he's bringing these things back together, and these are two really big ideas that we don't wrestle with a ton in evangelicalism, and so now that we're going to bring these two big ideas together, I, I, I honestly, I don't want to lose you at all in this, um, but it's going to be, we're, we're going to have to, like, I just want you to stick with me a little bit, is all I'm saying. We're going to be talking about demons and stuff, and I don't like to talk about demons all the time, but tonight, this is where it's going, okay? We're going to talk about demons, spiritual authority, some really, really, it's a little weird. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? But... It's totally um, powerful in our daily life in such a way that I don't think we comprehend too much. So all that introduction that you didn't need, 
Right. Let's get started. Let's just jump in, and we're going to read, and then uh, and then we'll start drawing pictures, right? I'm going to move this so y'all can see. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So we're going to pick it up in verse 7. We'll go to verse 9, and we'll stop in verse 9. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jewish people, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Right? Let's just read that one more time. Let's just read that one more time. That you'll fall asleep in the middle of this, right? Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to to non-Jewish people so that Paul is preaching to non-Jewish people the unsearchable riches of Christ, all that Christ has purchased in salvation in the cross. That Paul believes it's his role and his appointed duty on behalf of God to preach to those who are not Jews what Christ has done and all that Christ has accomplished when he went to the cross uh, and redeemed mankind. And he calls it this, uh, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The mystery. And so uh, this is what Paul is going to talk about in several books. He'll call it the mystery of the gospel. He uses that phrase over and over and over again. And so I just want to highlight for a second before we lose track of everything. If you guys remember where we drew that picture last week. And so we had this timeline and we looked at Genesis and we were thinking about Revelation. But we started in Genesis and we saw that man and God existed in this covenant relationship to the degree that man was made in the image of God, and with that imprint, with God being, I mean, man being created in his image, he was in perfect communion, and in that communion, he was given the role and the job of actually representing God, ruling and bringing his will to the earth. And so we've talked about this several times this semester, that if humanity does not walk according to the will of God, then God's will is not on the earth in the way that it is in the heavens. So that the sovereignty of God, the way that it is supposed to be manifested in the physical realm, is literally through the beings that bear his image. we really got to wrestle with the gravity of that. We tend to think God is sovereign and therefore he does everything that he wants to do on the planet. Everything that God wants to do on the planet, he does. But we've got to keep in mind that his plan for the physical realm was to create these beings who walk in his will and bring his kingdom, his character, his will, his sovereignty to the planet. So I'm not saying he's powerless at all. He does all that he wants to do. But for some reason, he's given the earth to the children of men, is what the Psalms say. He's given the earth to the children of men. This is exactly why Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does Jesus want us to pray that? Because it's not done on the earth the way that it's done in heaven. The reason it's not done on the earth the way that it's done in heaven is because the way that the will of God is supposed to be on the earth is through humanity walking in the will of God, bringing the power of God, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the sovereignty of God. So you feel me, right? So in this relationship, we bring God's will to the earth. Okay. So we saw that. Humanity rejected that. 
Okay, and then we saw the unfolding in Genesis. Specifically, I'm just going to highlight really, really quickly. We see the fallout in Noah and the flood that humanity is sort of grows to this increasing amount of wickedness. The flood comes, and then you get this reset button, and then you get God saying to him again, now go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the seas. He says that to Noah and his family. And then the next story that we see crop up, right, is the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, we see the creation of nations. Remember, we pulled this out. We saw the creation of the nations in the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel, remember, they make this tower. And in, uh, in making this tower, God looks down at them and nothing that they want to do, they won't be able to do. And so he confuses their language. And in confusing their language, the nations are created. So you get the creation of the nations in Genesis 11. And then in Genesis 12, he comes to one man, says, I'm going to make a nation from you, and that nation is going to bless all the nations. And then we fast forward it all the way to the very beginning of the Gospels, and we see Jesus coming and saying, it's in me that all the nations are going to be gathered back together to God. So remember we saw from the very beginning the gathering of the nations back to God in Jesus because the Jews were unable to do that. The Jews were supposed to be those who brought all people to God, but they are broken and wicked just like every other human on the planet, and so we're unable to do that. And here comes Jesus, the good and faithful Israelite, walking perfectly in the will of God and dying for the sins of humanity. And in doing that, the Holy Spirit comes on him and on those that follow him as they accept his forgiveness and walk in his will. And so we see the kingdom of God coming again. So this word here that we see in Ephesians 3, uh, that I, we've talked about, um, that, that, I, that, that I said Paul uses over and over, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. This is specifically taken from one of the prophets, Daniel. Are y'all familiar with the prophet Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den, right? So, a little bit of that story. I want to place that book, Daniel, in the narrative that I just talked about, okay? So, Daniel. Um, in the book of Daniel, in the second chapter, right as it starts off, there's this really hilarious story. The Old Testament has hilarious stories, if you just allow it to be hilarious. Uh, but Daniel 2 is one of those. Um, uh, okay, so in Daniel 2, this is what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon. He's sitting around. He had a dream one night. The dream troubled him. And so this is what he does. He's a jerk. Uh, he says, I want you to bring all the magicians um, all of the Chaldeans, and he's, it, just these people that are supposed to be able to understand and interpret dreams, the, the, the people that are in touch with the spiritual realm, basically. Uh, so hey, bring all those people to me because I've had a dream and I need it interpreted. And then those people come to Nebuchadnezzar and they're like, oh, great king, uh, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it for you. And Nebuchadnezzar's no fool, right? So he knows that if he just tells them the dream, they're just going to come up with something um, and whatever. And so what he tells me, he says, if you interpret this wrongly, I'm going to kill you and destroy your family. Like I'm going I'm to completely destroy your home. You're going to die and your family's going to die if you interpret this wrong. And then they're like, okay, but how's he going to know? So they're like, oh, great king, tell us, tell us the dream so we can give you its interpretation. And he's like, no. If you know it, you need to tell me the dream and its interpretation. And then they're like, uh, that's impossible. And so he's like, fine, I'm going to kill all of you. So he sends this decree that all of the magicians, all of the Chaldeans, all these people are going to die. It just so happens that Daniel is one of the people who is going to be killed in this. So Daniel's like, wait, 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 what's going on? So this guy comes in, he's rounding people up to go kill him. And Daniel's like, hold up, hold up, what's going on, what's going on? He goes and talks to his three friends, like Shad, Mag, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, hey, can y'all pray? So maybe God will give us what the dream is. We can tell him and we won't all die. And they're like, sweet. So they go and pray. Daniel comes up and he gives word to the king. Like, I know, I, I know the dream. I know the dream. So they bring Daniel up and they put Daniel in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's like, all right, king. Uh, it's something along the lines of, I can't give it to you, but God can give it to you. And so here's what it is. And he tells, the, he tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he had. And this is the dream. That there was this figure this huge statue that was so bright and so scary, and its head was made of gold, its arms were made of silver, its stomach and thighs were made of bronze, its legs were made of iron, and its feet were made of iron mixed with clay. And a rock that was not cut from human hands smashes it at its feet, destroys it, and then that rock swells and grows and covers the whole earth. And Daniel's like, can I also tell you what that dream means? And then this is what he tells him. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you and your kingdom are the head of gold. There will, become, uh, there will come after you another kingdom that will overthrow you, and after that, another kingdom, and after that, another kingdom. That last kingdom will be split and divided. It will be strong at first, but will grow weak. And then at that time when it is weak, this other kingdom will hit it, and that kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom that will take over the whole world. This is Daniel. Okay, this is... 600 and something years before Jesus comes, right? So that story itself is exactly in line with world history. The fact that it was told before world history develops is really the weird thing because you have the great empire, the Babylonians, which is taken over by the great empire of the Persians, which is then taken over by the great empire of Alexander the Great, which is then taken over by the great empire of the Romans, and then the Romans start falling apart right around the turn of the millennium when Jesus arrives. You start getting infighting. The generals start taking over, right? And so this was such a compelling story. This is such a compelling vision that most people, when they read that, said it is impossible for that book to have been written when everyone says it was in 650, uh, around, I believe it was around 650. It's impossible that it was written before the Persians took over and then Alexander the Great and then it's impossible. So it must be that that was written way later. And so most scholars believe that was w- written way later until the Dead Sea Scrolls are found. And what we see is that Daniel was written when they said it was written. And so they have really nothing to say. That, that story itself was the first, one of the first reasons that they said all of the Old Testament was written like in 200s way later. And then in the 1960s, they uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, maybe the 40s, somewhere around that time. They uncover the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then you see that it was written exactly when they said it was. Absurd, right? It's an absurd story. Okay, do you see in that story what we talked about with the unfolding here? That even in Daniel, what we see is that God is in control over the rise and fall of nations to bring about his kingdom which will cover all nations. And it indeed happened turn of the millennium when Rome was growing very weak. Right. And so it becomes about the arrival of this kingdom that sets itself up against and different than all the other kingdoms on the earth, right? So this is an idea that we're going to unpack some more. So you heard what I said earlier. You heard what I said was that in covenant with God, 
in covenant with God, humanity is supposed to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And that's precisely what they were set up to do before they fell. When they fell, they were unable to do that and another kingdom reigned on the earth. Okay, we're going to draw that stick figure picture again. But I want to read something, right? So, so listen to this. So he says that mystery That mystery that Paul is talking about is specifically that thing. That the kingdom of Jesus Christ would be the one that comes and sets itself up against all other kingdoms and actually grows to cover the entire earth. And that all of the earth will then be enveloped in the kingdom of God. We see that happen in Revelation 21 when when, uh, Jerusalem comes out from the skies and the kingdom of God comes to earth where it was supposed to be to begin with. Um, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more death anymore. The old things uh, have passed away and new things are coming, right? Remember that story. So we see the kingdom of God cover the earth completely. That's the end of the story. Paul says his role is to identify and explain the mystery of God spelled out that's been hidden through the ages. It was shown a little bit in Daniel. And that mystery is that it's not just the Jews, but it's also non-Jewish people that are going to be caught up into the family of God that then really, when Jesus comes again, the earth is ruled by. Okay. Okay. That's the mystery, right? So then what does he say here? What does he say? This is weird. So to me, this is verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, the grace was given, so the, the appointment was made, the grace was given for me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of how crazy God is to have this plan for all the nations, which Christ really brings uh, to the forefront to show that God is faithful to do what he said in Genesis 12 that he was going to do. It was my job to preach and uncover that mystery hidden in the ages, and I'm preaching that to the non-Jewish people so that non-Jewish people are becoming Christians. They're submitting themselves to the Messiah of Israel. They, okay, so... So that, um, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? And then here we are, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Read it again. Why is Paul preaching the message of all nations gathered into Christ? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What does that mean? Right? So, so the church is going to make known, right? We who follow Jesus, that's the church. So we're not talking about a local church. We're talking about church global. We're talking about all those who have believed uh, in Jesus since the day of Pentecost up until now. The church is going to make known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Uh, okay. Who are the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? Right? Okay, the rulers... It would be really easy to say the rulers and authorities are like, obviously like politicians, kings, rulers. That would be fine. If he would not have put in there in heavenly places, I would be fine to say... Sweet, yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about politicians, rulers, princes, people that run the earth. But then he says to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places that the church is letting them know something. Okay, so we need to draw this out. We need to connect this, right? So we remember how this picture was developing, right? So I'm going to write, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So that God exists, right? Remember this picture? Creates humanity. 
Humanity's big head. Big head. Uh, and then here we see in covenant made in the image of God, in communion with God, knowing what God is like, understanding God, being affirmed by God. In this covenant, humanity is then supposed to bring that covenant in the kingdom of God, right? This is the covenant that advances the kingdom. We broke it, and something happened. Look at this. We were supposed to be in covenant and bring the kingdom of God to the earth. In chapter 3, we rejected the covenant. You see that? We rejected that, and something happened. We unpack this in Ephesians 2. What was it that happened? We were supposed to bring the goodness of God, the will of God, the sovereignty of God, the plan of God, all of that to the earth. When we rejected the covenant, this becomes impossible, right? We can't do that anymore because it's only in this that we can bring this. It's only in this that we can bring that. If you don't know or understand or walk in the will of God and, and feel that, you can't bring the will of God. You see, you see what's going on there? So that got broken, therefore this was not happening. Humanity could no longer bring the will of God. So then we saw it unfold. And what we see that Scripture tells us is this is what happened. Right? When we read Ephesians 2, this is what we see happen. That we fell and walk according to the pattern of this world. Okay? We walk according to the pattern of this world and the pattern of this world is being shaped by, here we go, the demonic realm. Spiritual forces, what we see Paul call them are authorities, principalities, um, rulers, authorities, principalities in heavenly places. Okay, so walk with me here for a second. We saw in Ephesians 2 that this was the case. That when we defaulted from the relationship, it's not that the earth didn't just go anywhere. It's that the earth went in the direction uh, that the demonic realm wanted it to go. And, that, and so what we see throughout history, what we see especially in first century Judea, is the belief that every nation that has ever existed has existed under the control of a specific deity. And that specific deity was actually a demon. Okay? So that the culture that was created inside of that nation was going according to the pattern created by a spiritual force that was evil. And so we saw that other picture that God, even though this covenant is broken, He is not weak and powerless to bring about His plan. But that what's going on in the specifics of that culture were really happening according to the pattern of spiritual forces of darkness is the way that Ephesians says it. Okay, so you see these things coming together now? We're seeing the nations, we're seeing that statue of Daniel, and that statue, each of those different kingdoms, the head, the chest, the legs, the feet, they were all under the power of, let's put it this way here so we can add it to the text. This is why they're called rulers and authorities. Okay, do you see that now? You see where we're going? So he says in verse 10 that 
Paul is preaching to the gospel so that they might believe in Jesus and become believers so that the church might enlarge and actually become that rock that hits the feet and becomes the kingdom that envelops the whole earth. So that these beings might realize that they're no longer in authority anymore. So what we saw in Ephesians 2 is you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, under the prince of the power of the air, who is the, 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 uh, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, and you were also gratifying the passions of your flesh. We'll call it flesh instead of sin, just to keep it right. You're gratifying the passions of your flesh, and you were by nature a child of wrath, just like the rest of the sons of disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Christ at the right hand of the Father, above all of these authorities. And so what happens is in Ephesians 2, we see that humanity, which was under all of these and dead in that, is now no longer under these authorities anymore. So do you remember when we unpacked this? When, do you remember when we unpacked this idea? When we unpacked this idea, what we talked about is there are specific things that are killing you, there are powers at work against you that you are unable to fix and move out of. We really unpacked this. I told you that me and my wife were dating. I'd become a believer and I wanted... Oh, so badly to walk with Christ. But every three days, me and my wife were doing things physically. That we, we, she wasn't my wife yet. She was my girlfriend. She'd be my wife later. But we wanted to walk in holiness. And every three days, we were physically doing things that we both did not want to do. But in the moment, we just sort of overrun with it and we walked in it. Right? And then so we highlighted all these other things. Some of you are angry. You don't want to be angry. But you find yourself exploding in anger every three days maybe sh- maybe longer maybe shorter and so we really unpacked at the base level that there are powers that are at work against you and that outside of Christ you have no authority or ability to walk in a different way than they would have you walk you can exercise some small degrees of willpower but you really have no authority or power to do anything other than what your flesh wants to do in line with the world and in line with the demonic realm that's taken the world that direction. Okay, so you see that. So we highlighted that. We talked about the person, like how personable that was, like how each individual person wrestles with that in a different way, right? Okay. So what he's saying is you're seated in Christ above these authorities, but here's the problem. These things still exist, Right? This is where we get in this weird spot. These things still exist. Wouldn't it have been much better for Jesus to have come and just gotten rid of all these? Wouldn't that have been sweet? Like, that would be super sweet if we just like. But instead, what he says is you're seated above them, you have authority over them, but they're still there. They're still there. And that the role of the church then, the role of the church now is that this this, let's draw it this way again, that the covenant in Jesus has come, the new covenant in his blood has come, so that this can be restored. And this being restored is for the purpose of this again. It's always been for the purpose of this. This has always been the plan. That in history, this has always been the plan. In covenant, bring the kingdom. In covenant, bring the kingdom. We weren't able to do that, so God worked through the rise and fall of nations, the arrival of Jesus. Here he comes when Rome is at its weakest, and, when, uh, and they crucified Jesus on a cross. His shed blood is what covers my sin, and so it was all a part of the plan of God. Shed blood covers my sin. I'm no longer an enemy of God, but I'm now 
in relationship with God, and here in relationship with God, I'm able to bring the kingdom of God once again. And as I bring the kingdom of God once again, it's declaring to these who used to rule the world and who used to bring their own kingdom to the world that they no longer have authority to do so as I walk in the authority that I have with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see that? That's what he's saying in verse 10, right? Paul was given grace to preach to non-Jewish people in Christ, you can have authority over these things that have been running the world forever. And so what the point of it is, is that in Christ, I bring the kingdom of God. Simply put, in Christ, humanity once again steps forward and brings the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, in opposition to the kingdom of darkness. Do you see that? Very simple. Right. That's all he's saying. These rulers and authorities, they're called rulers and authorities because they're spiritual forces that are at work guiding and directing the world. Humans are supposed to do it. We forfeited the relationship. We can no longer do it. Somebody else did it. And while they were doing it, things got wicked. Things got bad. Things got nasty. Look at the history of the world. Look at the history of the world. It is humans killing each other over land. That is the history of the world. Humans doing horrific things to each other for land. That wh- why would humani- humanity come up with that idea? Where does humanity get that idea? They get it from this. The passions of their flesh under the pattern of the world that's guided by the demonic realm that wants to still kill and destroy humanity because humanity is made in the image of God. Okay, so the church now bringing forward the kingdom of God over and against the rulers who want to bring the world in a different direction. Okay, so have you heard the phrase then, have you heard the phrase... Like, uh, you need to be about the advance of the kingdom of God, or we're doing kingdom business, that sort of stuff. You've heard that phrase before? Yeah? Never? Never? You've heard it. Okay, yeah, yeah. We talk about it that way. Um, When we talk about evangelism, we're usually talking about that. We're going to go, we're doing this for the kingdom. We're doing this for the kingdom. We use that phrase, right? It's a very biblical phrase. And typically what we mean by we're going to do this about the kingdom, this is for the kingdom, what we specifically mean is we're going to evangelize so that more people become Christians, right? And so, I, I just out of curiosity, I just want to, uh, and it's going to be hard for you to answer this, but answer it inside yourself. Especially you guys who have been Christians a while, been trying to walk in this a while. And, and just, just want to know. Do you feel like, do you believe that in the course of your life, it has been about the advance of the kingdom? In the course of your life, has it been about the advance of the kingdom or has it been about the advance of something else? If it has been and you really wanted it to be about the advance of the kingdom, then my next question is a little more than that. How has that gone? Has it gone well? Can you look in your past and say, man, I advanced the kingdom because this person became a believer, this person became a believer, this person became a believer, and I see that. I evangelized, 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 and I've got all these disciples that I can point to and say, look, the kingdom's been advanced. Like, I, I, and, and I'm not saying this like, you're bad Christians, evangelize more, or you're bad Christians, do kingdom stuff more. I, I want, I am saying that to drop us into a different, 
uh, say, to drop us into the reality that we use words and we use language, and those words and those language have real, deep, biblical meaning, and we rob them of their real, deep, biblical meaning, and then we still go about our business in a different sort of way, thinking about the kingdom, talking about the kingdom, but if we look at our past and we look at our life, it's really not much at all been about the advance of the kingdom, at all. Especially in this way. Especially in the way that Paul talks about it. Okay. Okay. So when I say that humanity is supposed to exist in covenant with God and bringing the kingdom of God, what exactly do I mean? What does that look like for us? Like, and I'm going to tell you this. For the, for the, for most of my Christian life, I would look at you and say, I can look in my past and see no advance of the kingdom. I would look at you and say that for most of my Christian life, my Christian life was mostly about me trying not to sin and me being somewhat okay with that sometimes, and then at other times really not doing too good of a job. That my Christianity revolved around a moral ethic that was really difficult for me to follow. And that I would come to church and I would hear sermons from a guy yelling from a stage about evangelism. And I would say, I totally agree with you. I've been, I've been really bad at that. And I'm going to try harder to do that. And I would go about trying to do that. And it would be just fruitless all the time. Every time. And so that most of my Christian life was specifically me wondering where I was with God, me wondering if he was really happy with me, me trying to live by some moral ethic because I felt like if I lived by this moral ethic, he would be happy with me, and then getting amped up by preachers and people that I like to listen to about going to do kingdom business and getting my eyes off myself. And so I was like, that's so true. Why am I sitting here just worried about my sin? Blood of Jesus covers me. I'm good. I'm going to try not to sin, but I'm going to move forward advancing the kingdom. I take steps to advance the kingdom, and it's like, n- never. I mean, I try, I mean, like, I'd, I would, I would like, I prayed to God one time when I was at SFA. I prayed like, I, I had uh, met this kid once before. We were sitting in completely different places in class. And I was like, God, can you arrange it so that me and that guy would sit next to each other so I could talk to him? And um, I prayed that. The next time we came to class, we had moved to a different classroom. And it just so happened I sat next to him. I made good friends with him. Uh, no advance of the kingdom of God that I could see. And I still know him six years later. So maybe there will be. But it it was mostly stuff like that, where I would hope for the future, but really didn't see any powerful advance of the kingdom at all. Okay, okay. That's been particularly most of my Christian life. And, And my guess is there are some of you where that's not the case, and there are some of you where that is the case. That's my guess. Okay. So what do I mean about advancing the kingdom of God? What does that look like for you what does that look like for you? Before we say that. No, we can say that. That's fine. We can say that. All right, let's go here. What does it look like and mean to advance the kingdom of God in your life and in my life? To advance the kingdom of God, to be in covenant in this relationship and to move it forward, to do what we as humans were made to do, to be in line with our purpose. The first thing you have to do, the first thing you have to do is you have to be in the kingdom of God. Okay, you've got to be in the kingdom of God. And this is what I mean by that. You're like, oh, obvious, duh. Okay, right. 
This is what I mean by that. I think there are some of us that have at some point said a prayer and had some idea about salvation and we talk about salvation. You're fairly certain that you believe in Jesus and that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And you do ascribe to a belief about God in some way. Okay? But there are huge aspects of your life that are not submitted to God in any way and that your life is defined by the advance of everything that you want to do or most of the things that you want to do as long as they're in line with the Christian moral ethic. And so you look Christian on the outside because you're ethical, because you don't kill people. Right, And you don't rob stuff out of their purses when they're not looking. And so you have this Christian moral. And some of you are like really good and you don't sleep with your boyfriend and you don't get high on the weekends. Like, wonderful, right? So then you're here inside of this Christian moral ethic, but there are huge parts of you that are in no way submitted to the Lord at all. So to be advancing the kingdom means that I'm in covenant and I've submitted myself to the king of that kingdom. I've submitted myself completely to the king of that kingdom so that in that kingdom I'm finding the life that the king of that kingdom provides. This, okay, so let me show you the inconsistency now that we've got the picture. Most of us, eh, most of us, no, that's wrong. Some of us, as I did, the, I, I, I did this, I still have an inclination to do this, right? You don't just decide to not do this one day and you stop doing it. This is the, this is the battle, right? Okay, but this is what it is. There are some of us, who have ascribed to these beliefs about God, and in subscribing to those beliefs about God, everything that we do is in line with the culture that has been created by these rulers and authorities. So if the church is supposed to look to these rulers and authorities and say to them, by their actions and lifestyle, you actually have no power and authority anymore because the King of Kings has come and I have His power and authority and I stand against your power and authority and I move the kingdom of God against your kingdom, most of us would say that theoretically, but our lives are lined up so in line with the culture that these beings have created that that would be some dumb hypocritical thing to say you have no authority but i literally do everything you say you see what i'm saying you see how the you see if like without submission to the king and the church saying to these rules you have no authority anymore the way that you're guiding the world we're going to change that and take it a different direction but all the while all of your hopes all of your dreams everything that you fear everything that you want is specifically in line with the cultural narrative of the southern united states Work your butt off and go to college, and when you get out of college, you'll have $100,000 in debt, and that's absolutely fine. Take that $100,000 in debt, make sure you get married when you're done, and when you get married, make sure you go get yourself saddled up with a mortgage after maybe two years, get yourself a couple of cars that are fairly nice, and then saddle yourself up with that kind of debt so that you can saddle yourself up with all this debt because that's right in line with our cultural narrative that you go, you get a job that pays $60,000, it's got a a somewhat high degree of upward mobility so that maybe when you're 40 you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year and then there are sometimes you can come to church on the weekends and support missions with this extra money that God's thrown at you so that's our cultural narrative our cultural narrative is that you go to school so that you can find a job so that you can get married so that you can saddle yourself with debt so that for the next 30 years you can pay off all the debt you accrued in your 20s And then at the end, when you've paid it all off and you've built a nest egg, you go to the beach four times a year. Right? So that's the cultural narrative. 
So we would say, you have no authority anymore, and they're saying, this is what your life should look like, and you're like, it really should. And you move along with it. So if the church is to declare to the rulers and authorities, you have no power, you have no authority, wherever you're taking the world is not where we're taking the world, it automatically assumes that everything in your life is submitted to the will of God and you're allowing Him to guide the direction of your life at every single step. I am not saying to you, quit school, don't get married, don't get a house. I'm married and I have a house, okay? And I believe I'm walking in the will of the Lord. I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying to you, are your hopes and your dreams so tied up in this cultural narrative that you are unwilling to really say to the Lord, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, that's where I want to go, that's what I want to do. And at every single day and every single step, you guide, you guide, you guide, you guide, and I'll really let go of this. I want to walk with my boyfriend or girlfriend in the way you want me to walk, not about what I want, but about what you want. I want to walk in school and in class you guiding and you directing. And that when I feel my heart grab around these hopes and these desires for things and items and money and, and people liking me, that I would see that and I would just say to the Lord, all I know, Father, is that I'm grabbing around these things and I don't want to do that and I submit myself to you and I want you to guide me. So whatever you make clear to me, that's what I'm going to do. It's so much easier to have a Christian moral ethic and a cultural narrative because you have clearly divided black and white lines that say, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this, and you move along with a cultural narrative all the while never in line with the will of God, never in line seeing the power of God move through you, never in line seeing disciples being made for the advance of the kingdom and the proclamation to these authorities that they're actually not an authority anymore. So the first place that it looks like to advance the kingdom of God is to be in the kingdom of God. I'm not, I, I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not really even talking about salvation here. I am to some of you. But some of you are in the kingdom, but you're like so saddled on the fence. They might as well not be. You got like one foot in. Like I said the prayer and I'm good, but really I'm going to do everything I want to do. Right? So when I say be in the kingdom, I'm saying like submit, drop all this stuff that's really just leading you to death and jump into a real life where you really don't know what's going to happen in four years, and you haven't made a 10-year plan that guides every single step for the next 10 years so you can feel safe and you can feel comfortable. It's saying, I don't know where you're going to lead me. I don't know where you're going to go. I think you've brought me to school right now, so I'm going to do my best here. But whatever doors you open up next, I want to walk through those no matter how scary or crazy they are. So don't in your need to be the radical Christian now go sell everything and move to China. That may be what the Lord's calling you, but it may not be. The Lord may be calling you to finish school and get a job and make disciples in your workplace in a really mundane way, but that you see his power move as you see people set free from the bondage in their life. It's beautiful and mundane. A lot of us are being called to that. Some of you are being called to India to go like live in the slums. Yeah, but we don't know that. All I'm saying is can you let go a bit? Can you let go and say I really do want to go where you want to take me and you begin moving in that direction in that way as you go about finishing school, as you go about looking for the next step, that you let go of the cultural narrative a bit. That's what I mean by being the kingdom. 
The only way you're going to advance the kingdom, however, is if you're in the kingdom and you're finding life in the kingdom. And I'm just going to say this in one simple story and then we can, we can be done. I think a lot of you have submitted everything to the Lord. You've submitted everything to the Lord. You really do want to follow him. You do really want to walk with him. But at every single step you take, it feels like you're hitting a brick wall. Specifically, as you do try to be obedient, wake up in the morning, spend time with the Lord, and it feels like you're talking to the ceiling. Or like I said earlier, you do want to submit to the Lord, but every single time you want to walk in holiness with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it feels like every three days you keep doing something that you don't want to do. Or you're trying to walk away from alcohol, and you're like, God, I'm done with it. I don't want to, I don't want to be going to the bars every weekend. But then you find yourself succumbing to what your friends want to do, and you go about doing that maybe once a month, and you wake up the next morning feeling guilty like crap. I didn't want to do that. And so you just feel like as I'm trying to be in the kingdom and I have submitted, it's like, where are you, God? Because I'm not finding any life here. I'm not finding any life here. To advance the kingdom of God, you've got to be in the kingdom of God and be finding life in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you need to be on some spiritual plane that you've got to do all this before you can go do that. I'm not saying any of that. I am saying it this way, though. I have a super close friend that he's the most evangelistic person I've ever met in my life. You could have, he like convert a brick wall. He's just absurdly evangelistic. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Like he'll just be talking to someone in line and he's like unpacking Romans to them. And I'm like, bro, you're weirding us all out, man. Like it's sort of odd the way he is, but so deeply in love with Jesus that it just, he just throws it up, right? Because he's, Jesus done so much in his life. It set him free from so many things. So he enters into this time of like not really knowing where the Lord is, not seeing what's going on in his life, just, it's just this really tough time. And what he says to me, and he's like, I can't figure this out. What he says to me is, I feel like now when I go tell people about Jesus, it's just like I'm stepping over my feet. I don't have anything to say. It doesn't make any sense. It's not really, it's not really anything. And I'm like, bro, isn't it, isn't it obvious to you? He's, in the, he's been in the middle of deep-seated anger for like three years. And because he never dealt with his anger in the way prescribed by Scripture, it's been, eating him, it's been eating him up. And so he finds himself now far from the Lord and feeling a little weird about everything. And now the beauty of the Lord that used to be there just used to overflow from him. He's now locked up in some sort of weird battle with anger every single day because he never dealt with it in the beginning the way that it should have happened and so now he's not operating in the life that he had and so the advance of the kingdom that used to come easy through him doesn't come easy so that's what i mean by that i'm not saying get to some spiritual plane i'm saying if you have no life in you there's going to be nothing to give there's going to be nothing to give and so I'm saying this specifically in this way to ask you about something. I really want to know, are there places in your life where you feel like you go to try to move in that direction? You go to, tr- like, okay, that you go to try to deal with pornography. You don't want to look at porn anymore, but every four days you're looking at porn. You tell God, I don't want to look at this anymore. I don't want to look at this anymore. And yet you still do. I think there's some of you that know that guys don't satisfy and you know that girls don't satisfy. And yet you've never been single for the last like eight years in your life. Right, So you say these things, but every time you find yourself in that single place, you start driving towards finding another person to satisfy you. So you, you mentally agree, but you don't walk in the power of it, right? Or anger, or so many other things. So I just want to say, before we get to the end of this, I think there's some of you that have fully submitted to God, but you find yourself running up against that brick wall. 
there are specific things that you can walk in. Just like Ephesians 2 says, you have been given power over the demonic, ro- the demonic realm, the world, and your flesh, and you absolutely can walk in freedom, but you cannot walk in freedom as you isolate yourself from everyone else and you hide these things that you keep running up against and you try to master it on your own. And so I would say from the bottom of my heart to you, pleading with you, that if you find yourself in that place where you do feel submitted to the Lord and you do feel like you're in that place, but you keep hitting a brick wall to find someone that you know and trust and you like the way that they walk with the Lord and tell them everything and tell them everything and have them walk alongside you until you deal with the things that need to be dealt with so that you can walk in the freedom and the power that Jesus has provided for you. So you've got to be in the kingdom, find life in the kingdom. And as you find life in the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom happens quite naturally. It'll be difficult sometimes. It'll be scary sometimes. It'll be crazy sometimes. But as you find life in the kingdom, one of the things that consistently happens is the Spirit comes along and brings people to you for you to invest in, to pour into, to talk to. Some of you are really just gifted evangelists and people don't even have to come up to you and you just walk up to them. As you're finding life in the name of the Lord, you'll be able to move out with the authority and power that you feel, that you felt and experienced and move forward in that way as you walk in these really small submissive ways to the Lord. Being intentional with someone who comes and needs advice. Being intentional with the person next to you in your class. Being intentional with the people that you know do look to you and say, I do like the way they walk with the Lord. And you turn around and even though they might be a little weird or a little crazy, you look them in the eye and you ask them things about their life. And you see where they are and you tell them that you love them and you walk alongside them for the advance of the kingdom and for bondage and crap to be broken out of their life as well. But that doesn't happen out of obligation. It happens as you come into the kingdom, find life in the kingdom, and then are submissive to the Lord and seeing the ways that he's going to use you to advance that kingdom. Okay. I've just thrown up all over you. And I'm sorry. No, no, Marshall, no. But with all my heart, this is what Paul is drawing us into. That if we keep Jesus about heaven or hell, where we land is this weak and powerless place. When we step into the fact that God has been faithful for all of history to bring about all nations under the family of God and he wants you to be a part of that and the way that he wants you to be a part of that is as you submit fully to him you find yourself really in authority over your flesh over the world and the demonic realm and you learn to walk in that through the struggle and through the pain that that is you learn to walk in that and then you really become submissive obedient in the day to day in the day-to-day advancing that kingdom in the people that are around you and allowing the Lord to lead in that daily. And that this is so much bigger than the way we talk about salvation. So much bigger than that.